With the news media covering increasingly more news about data breaches and security and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor, we are here to help you mitigate potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Welcome to the 24th episode of my show. I use this platform to help raise the awareness of information security and privacy risks and issues, and I also love to provide listeners with practical tips and actions that can help to improve information security and better protect their privacy. Please check out my websites, Symbus360.com and PrivacyGuidance.com. And guess what? I'm going to be teaching live some online IAPP, CIPM, and CIPT privacy certification classes soon. So if you're interested in these certifications and getting some training for them, send me an email if you want to know more. Now, my July Privacy Professor Tips message was published on June 28th. Did you get yours? Well, if not, sign up for them. They're free. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. And please send me an email letting me know who is your privacy hero. It can be at your work. It can be in your personal life. I'm recognizing privacy heroes in my monthly tips messages throughout 2018. So today, my tip of the week relates somewhat to our show topic today. My tip is about a current scam that is really quickly spreading through Facebook, and it's claiming many victims, and it's likely on other social media sites as well. So here's how it worked on one victim, and I'll call this victim Chris. So Chris received a message from his online friend Lee uh, about a government grant, and it was a government grant money program for, quote, American citizens, and Lee pointed Chris to a person named Brenda Carpenter's Facebook page. So Chris went there. He saw it. He pursued this grant and the person, Brenda Carpenter, at the site. She showed many official-looking certificates and award logos and many other photos. And whoever the person actually is representing themselves as Brenda Carpenter told Chris that he qualified for this grant. So... Chris was told to wire $1,950 for processing and application fees, and in return, he would get $25,000 to $40,000 grant from the government. Well, guess what? He did that. And after he wired that money, he was then told to send another $3,000 to pay for the actual transfer fee. So guess what? He sent that too. But... 
Do you think he ever got that? No, he never got the grant. In fact, he lost close to $5,000 to this scam. Now, that site, which proclaims at the top of it that you can get free federal grants, and it has the statement in quotes, we do care about you, and it's all in caps. It was actually still up as we're doing our show today. Now, it it will be interesting to see how long it stays up because it has been shown to be a scam site, and they've really gotten a lot of money from a lot of people from it. So here's my tips for today. Remember, number one, the federal government does not give away grants via social media sites. And number two, you are never required to pay to receive a legitimate government grant. Remember these important signs of a scam and don't be a victim. They're really going all over Facebook right now, so don't fall for it. Well, today I'm discussing a topic that has personally impacted me increasingly more often in the past few years. And I know it is also increasingly impacting many of my business colleagues as well. It is online catfishing. Now, when people think of online catfishing, most of those who are using um, dating sites, gaming sites, and social media sites such as Facebook and Instagram are the targets. And there have been several prosecutions for the, the crimes, I mean, there have been some serious crimes that have occurred through these catfishing venues. For example, 21-year-old Carlos Malera, who we found out then after he committed a crime, was a member of the violent MS-13 gang. Carlos pled guilty to his role in the murder of a 15-year-old Boston boy who was actually lured to his death by using catfishing through a fake Facebook page. Now, Carlos was sentenced to 30 years in prison in 2015. In 2017, a person named Shelley Charchet was sentenced to prison for 18 months. Now, she catfished Chris Anderson, an NBA player who was subsequently kicked off of his team for various reasons. And she also catfished a social media celebrity and model, Paris Dillon. Now, Shelley spent over 50 days of that prison time in solitary confinement. Now, this year, in 2018, Eric Marshall, who's from Grand Island, New York, was sentenced to three to nine years in prison. He catfished three women for a period from July 2009 through July 2016, and he scammed them out of more than $300,000 under the assumption that he was going to set up households with each of them. Now, one woman sent Marshall $700 a month for what she thought was her share of purchasing a home with him. And she also gave him money for clothes and for other expenses. Then the second woman paid Marshall $1,500 a month, and she also loaned him a lot of different amounts of money. And she even paid $8,000 to fix a fake water leak in their non-existent home. Then the third woman gave Marshall money for a house she thought that they were buying together. 
So this has been going on for a while. But, you know, I've been seeing from some personal experience that catfishing is evolving. And it's going from dating, gaming, and recreational types of sites to being done more often in professional and business sites such as LinkedIn. Now, I started getting a few questionable invitations that turned out to not be the people that they claimed to be on LinkedIn around 2011. You know, they presented themselves in the early cases as high-ranking military officers. And I was wondering, you know, why am I getting these invitations now from generals and others who I, I had seen actually, you know, making statements on TV? What what got my attention when they gave me these LinkedIn requests first were their photos. And they seemed a little bit different than the other photos that I saw on uh, LinkedIn at the time. I ultimately found them online elsewhere. And then I saw on their LinkedIn profile that they had just joined LinkedIn and had either no other links or just a few other links. So I ignored them. Now, this continued throughout the years, but with increasing frequency. So now let's jump up to 2018. I'm now getting three to five of these a week on LinkedIn. And now I'm also getting them on Facebook, about a dozen a week on Facebook, often from military people, but also from what looks like to be business executives. And I'm not on any dating or gaming sites, and I'm not posting much at all about my private life. So when I got these catfishing invitations, first what I did was I I made a copy of the photo and I used Google Images to search to determine whether or not those were trying to get in touch with me were actually other people to see if I could find that photo elsewhere online. And I, I have always found them elsewhere online. Often they're in the military, but increasingly I'm finding more who are business executives. And then when I start doing digging into their Facebook profiles or LinkedIn profiles, especially on Facebook, what I'm finding is that they are actually originating from African countries or Middle Eastern countries based on not only their likes, but also some of their existing and very old connections that I'm able to find through some extra digging and examining metadata on their sites. Now, so far, I've not accepted any of these connection requests from the catfishers, But one of these days, when I get some time, I want to start communicating with one to better determine their techniques and motivations and why they targeted me. And I'm not the only one. Some of my business uh, friends are also seeing this, too. So this seems to be a growing trend for catfishers to target business executives. So why? Well, there are many reasons. I mean, as a form of corporate espionage to get information about competitors, as a form of nation-state intelligence gathering, such as what happened during the 2015 to 2016 time period when it is reported that you know Russian catfishers were using tactics such as this to connect to those in the U.S. that they thought would then spread their different messages and propaganda and so on. 
as a way to get personal data from people that the catfishers think would be very valuable, and also as a way to get access into networks and business access, uh, business assets, and of course, many more motivations. So, what are some specifics involved with these catfishing activities targeting business professionals? Well, I have the perfect person to discuss this with today. Today, my guest is Allison Wyckoff a senior intelligence analyst and security researcher for the SecureWorks Counter Threat Unit research team, where she performs focused research to create countermeasures and strategic strategic intelligence products for SecureWorks clients. Now, prior to joining SecureWorks, she held information security positions at finance, manufacturing, and healthcare institutions, and she was focused on intelligence analysis, incident response, and network defense. So, Allison, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Thank you so much for having me, Rebecca. Well, I, I'm i so in, interested in some research that you've done in the past uh, year or maybe more. I noticed that you had a report that was published uh, through SecureWorks last year, and it was called The Curious Case of Mia Ash, Fake Persona Lures Middle Eastern Targets. And, you know, I wanted to find out more from you about the details and especially the fact that you started doing research and dug into the details. So, you know, what was it? that you observed that got your attention and told you that this was a catfishing instance? Well, for us, it all started in um, the end of December, early January, uh, sorry, December 2016, early January 2017, when we observed a really large scale phishing campaign that was targeting a fair amount of Middle Eastern organizations. Um, Specifically, we saw a series of emails that were sent to targets that contained shortened links um, the recipients who clicked the URLs were presented with um, a Microsoft Office document that was related to um, the phishing theme, and uh, the document then downloaded and installed a piece of malware, something called Puppy Rat. Now, Puppy Rat is an openly available piece of malware that you can download off GitHub. And at the time, um, it had been on GitHub since for about two years, so since maybe 2015. Now, uh, that was interesting to us uh, because we hadn't seen Puppy Rat before. And in looking at uh, the infrastructure related to the uh, malware, the delivery of the malware through the phishing, we associated with an Iranian threat group. Now, SecureWorks has a lot of client telemetry. So we have over 400, sorry, 4,500 different client networks that we monitor, maintain, or manage in some capacity across over 70 countries. Um, Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So we have a lot of really great telemetry where it's really fun to be an intelligence analyst. Mm -hmm. But uh, once we were done analyzing this campaign, we published on it. um, Other organizations like SecureWorks also saw the activity. And um, about six weeks after that first campaign occurred, we had one of our clients who had seen the first campaign reach out to us and say, hey, I've got this piece of malware. Can you take a look at it? And when we looked at it, it was Puppy Rat again. Now, huh. I mentioned, yes. So <laughs> I mentioned how uh, how much 
uh, telemetry we have based on the amount of clients we have and the fact that Puppy Rat was openly available um, for years and SecureWorks hadn't seen it before. Mm -hmm. And it was a giant red flag to us that here we are with Puppy Rat twice at the same client in a six-week span. And that didn't make a lot of sense to that, to us. And Mm -hmm. when we dug in a little bit more, what we found was about two weeks after that first campaign, that broad campaign that occurred in December, end of December 2016, mm-hmm. early January 2017, Mia Ash reached out to an employee of this organization over LinkedIn and convinced uh, the employee to open up a weaponized document eventually. Now, uh, be- before you get into that, though, sure, because um, I, I want to hear about that, but what I mean, when you said that you noticed this activity, so were these uh, from your clients you already had, or do you just monitor the network to see, you know, different activities in general? I'm sure some of my listeners are wondering, I mean, you don't have to get into details, but I'm just wondering, what was it, how did you notice this? Was it through clients, or was it just in general network activity? So we do a little bit of everything at SecureWorks. We do have, like I said, a lot of clients. We also have a lot of research um, systems out there. But in the case of the initial phishing campaign, that came through our client telemetry. Ah, okay, okay. Because I'm sure, as I, as, you know, I was thinking, huh, well, maybe you're just watching kind of across the globe and you noticed a lot of activity in one Portion, but that okay, that's very helpful. So then, you were describing then Mia Ash. So Mia Ash was on LinkedIn, and and what happened from there then? So we believe what happened was again two weeks after this first campaign failed at this particular organization, Mia Ash reached out to an employee of this organization on LinkedIn, um, posing as a London-based photographer. Um, and coincidentally, the employee of this organization was also a fan of photography. Uh, and they struck up a conversation, and they spoke over LinkedIn um, and several other mediums, we think. Uh, and eventually, she, they convinced the employee to open an email that was purporting to be a photography survey, but in fact, it wound up being puppy rat. Oh, interesting. So it sounds like the... Uh the claimed identity of Mia Ash, it, it sounds like that uh, entity was going after some very specific people on LinkedIn. It wasn't just like they were throwing out the net to see who would uh, answer their call. They, they knew who they were going to, right? Right. So when we took a closer look at the Mia Ash persona, it was really interesting. We found that Um, In addition to a LinkedIn account, there was also a Facebook account associated with the persona um, and a blog, uh, which was really interesting because it gave us a really good timeline of how long that persona had been active. So the furthest we could date it back was about April 2016. And here we are in February, March 2017. That's a fair amount of time for Mm -hmm. uh, a fake persona to be active. Um, we determined the targeting of Mia Ash based on uh, her connections on LinkedIn. So her connections fell into two broad categories. There were photography connections. So it looked like Mia Ash had attempted to befriend or add valid photographers on LinkedIn. And we think that the adversaries did that with this persona to make it look more legitimate. Mm -hmm. The second set of LinkedIn uh, 
folks associated with her were much more interesting um, in terms of the likely targeting of this particular campaign. The majority of them were based in the Middle East. They were working for oil and gas, technology, uh, telecom organizations, and most of the people uh, were mid-level career uh, and had technical type jobs. Um, Mm -hmm. And so what we could determine or what we guessed from the job descriptions is that those people were likely targeted not only for the organizations that they worked for, but Mm -hmm. the type of access it seemed like they had to those organizations. So um, an IT technician probably has elevated access to the organization that they work for. And in the case of Mia Ash, that makes them that much more appealing. What we determined with the malware that was delivered to these folks, or at least in the case that we observed, that the malware was trying trying to steal credentials. And so if you have valid administrator credentials to the network that you're trying to get on, it makes it that much easier to move around the network and achieve whatever objectives it is you're trying to get in for. Oh, interesting. So how many other links did this Mia Ash persona have on LinkedIn? I mean, it must have looked very, you know, legitimate. That was the alarming part of it. So we don't regularly interact with um, these sorts of profiles, but from the look of the of Mia Ash's profile, she had over 500 connections on LinkedIn and a fair amount of connections on Facebook, too. Wow, over 500. So they, they spent some time really building that persona. They must have been going after some really big, um, you know, paydays with the type of data that they were hoping to, to collect then. Absolutely. So then was the name, I mean, is there a real Mia Ash anywhere that uh, that her identity was co-opted by these fake personas or so there is no real Mia Ash um, the images did come from a real woman without her consent and in the course of researching the curious case that was Mia Ash we notified mm-hmm. all the impacted parties that we could regarding the campaign including the woman whose images were being used we didn't get to personally speak to her her or everyone involved in the campaign, but generally a lot of the feedback that we got from some of the victims was that there was embarrassment that they had somehow been involved in this particular campaign without their knowledge. Oh, I can imagine uh, to find out your photos being yeah. used by some um, Middle Eastern group that's trying to get data through someone else. Wow. So um, did you find out by looking at the Mia Ash persona, I mean, do you know or could you guess what the the different factors were for that persona to go after these specific um, people that they were delivering? You know, you said they delivered these types of malware to collect uh, user IDs and passwords or other authentication data. Do you know if they actually used that data that they collected then? I'm assuming they did because the profile was active for so long and they kept using it. Um, This particular group we have been observing for a fair amount of time. It's a group that we call Cobalt Gypsy. Um, They're also called Oil Rig and Open Source Reporting. But this group has been active since at least 2015. And based on our research, we do believe uh, it's tasked by the Iranian government. Mia Ash was not the first of these fake personas that we found this group using either. They have a history of using... Um, 
sock puppets or fake personas on social media accounts, particularly LinkedIn. So was there anything specific about the Mia Ash uh, persona and how it looked or specific types of data associated with that um, profile that would have been a, a flag? Like if someone listening is thinking, well, gee, you know, if we get an invitation and somebody's got more than 500 links, then that that probably means they're a real person, right? I mean, was there any indicator that, that would tip off that this was a, a fake persona? There were. There were a fair amount, actually. Um, the biggest indicator was the lack of contact information um, and non-personal images used on Mia Ash's various profiles. So oh. she purported to be a self-employed photographer, but how do you get in touch with a self-employed photographer? Usually they have their phone numbers, emails, contact information splashed all over all of their social media accounts. Yeah. In the case of Mia Ash, there was none of that. In addition, the only pictures really that were on any of her social media sites were pictures of herself. Which is odd for someone who's a professional photographer, right? It's a strange calling card for sure. (laughs) Yeah. You know, we're coming up on a break. So uh, we're going to pause right here for a short amount of time so we can hear from our valued sponsors that I appreciate so much. We're speaking today about digital catfishing with Allison Wyckoff, Senior Intelligence Analyst and Security Researcher for SecureWorks Counter Threat Unit Research Team. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show, as well as show suggestions, using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my website, Symbus360.com and PrivacyGuidance.com. Please stay with us. We'll be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy, and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyprofessor.org. Rebecca Harold and Associates offers information security products, privacy, and compliance tools, education, and consulting. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages. She has published since 2007. Visit privacyprofessor.org for help and answers to your questions. Have you heard about Symbus360.com? The Symbus system includes information security, privacy, and compliance management, policies, procedures, and forms, third-party and vendor management, training and awareness, breach response and management, employee tasks and assets management, and risk management automation. Symbus also offers Alien Vault Unified IT Security Management at reduced pricing and also cyber liability insurance with limits up to $25 million. You need to find out more about the Symbus system. Visit Symbus360.com. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. 
You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. We're talking today with Allison Wyckoff, a senior intelligence analyst and security researcher for the SecureWorks Counter Threat Unit Research Team. And we're talking about her digital catfishing research, which was in particular um, talking about a persona called Mia Ash. So before our break, while Allison was telling us about a few of the red flags that kind of tipped off that uh, Mia Ash was not actually a real person, like a lack of contact information and a lack of photos. And, you know, Allison, that's something that on the weekends is when I usually look at all my invitations for LinkedIn. And I always have found occasionally when I do find people asking me to link, there is usually about one or two out of maybe a hundred that don't provide their email address. And I always thought that was um, an odd thing. So that, that could be a flag, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. You would think on a, a professional networking site, they'd, like you said, they'd want to get in touch. So what were some of the other indicators um, that Mia Ash may not actually be a real person? Well, the images weren't hers. So you mentioned reverse ah, Google yeah. image searching when you were talking about some of your experiences with um fake personas online and in looking at the images associated with the Mia Ash Ash persona, we were able to map them back to the real woman whose images were being used. Um, Uh Another sort of humorous indicator of uh, Mia Ash not being a real person or a real persona, um, her Facebook page had stock images in it. Um, And I'm not sure (laughs) that's really the greatest calling card. Again, if you're if you're purporting to be a photographer and you, Right. Presumably have your own images to use. Um, but, yeah, they still had the digital watermarks from the sites that they were taken from. Still with the digital watermarks. Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's just... Uh, now, they didn't think that out very well <laughs> before they put that well, there. maybe. But, you know, yeah. we found the persona a year after it had been created. So, clearly, oh. it had been working so there's no reason to up your game if what you're well, doing is working. Exact. Well, that's a good point, too. And who knows, maybe, you know, come to think of it, if I saw a photo on someone saying that they were a professional photographer, if I saw a watermark, I might just think, oh, well, they put that watermark on there so somebody wouldn't steal their photos. So, um, you know, maybe I, I wouldn't think it was that odd, actually. So... Did you see any other indicators on LinkedIn? Like, did you go and look maybe to see if uh, the persona was a member of other groups or if they even commented on anything? Or did you try to communicate with the persona through LinkedIn? We definitely didn't try to communicate with the persona, but we were able to see that the job descriptions from prior jobs that Mia Ash claimed to have had were taken from other people as well. 
Now, um, you, oh, go ahead. No, no, but she, um, sorry, go ahead. Well, what I was thinking is, you know, you said you found her first on LinkedIn, but then you also found the Mia Ash persona on Facebook. So did you, what did you do, if anything, on Facebook to do some more of your research there? We tried to cross-reference the connections on Facebook to um, to her connections on LinkedIn. And in some of the folks that we talked to that were associated with the persona said that the conversation started on LinkedIn and then pivoted over to Facebook. Um, and other folks said the opposite, that they had just been connected to her through Facebook as well and never talked to her on LinkedIn. So that was very interesting. Huh, that is, especially the pivot part, because I, I don't experience that really that often. But, um, yeah, so did you notice, too, on Facebook? I'm just curious on, you know, usually folks on Facebook, there's some that don't post very often, but usually they engage in some way. On Facebook, did, was she doing more than just posting things and then not interacting with others? Would that be a red flag on Facebook if you're you know, looking at getting a re- friend request on Facebook from someone you don't know? Most of the interaction on Facebook was Mia Ash uploading pictures. Um, and in okay. one instance, we actually saw um, the Mia Ash profile uploading images that were uploaded by the real woman whose images are being used like within a week. Oh, well, that's interesting. So w- what happened with this case then? I mean, it, you released the report last uh, fall, and it's so interesting, and I encourage all my listeners to go out to the SecureWorks um, site. I believe you still have it located out on that site if people want to read it, but, um, you know, what was the the reaction to that report, or what, what uh, if anything, happened as a result of that? I mean, is Mia Ash still out there? No, no. Before we went public with the report, we reached out to the social media sites uh, where we found uh, Mia Ash present, and they took down those those particular profiles. Um, you know, we think that they were actually using both platforms to evade detection. So, uh, LinkedIn and Facebook and most of the social media platforms do understand that this is a problem and mm-hmm. that their platforms can be mis- misused this way. And I know that they have teams of people who are trying to combat these threats um, full time. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, talking about combating catfishing threats, um, have you seen catfishing tactics changing over the years uh, as you've been researching this particular s- situation? So Mia Ash was one of the first multi-platform personas that we observed. However, I'm sure there's a lot there's a lot more out there with all the use of social media. Um, Generally, though, the personas have gotten better, but the tactics have remained the same. I mean, these attacks are preying on on people's, um, the psychology of people and mm-hmm. wanting to trust and wanting to connect on these particular platforms. And there's a lot of trust built into these, particularly on LinkedIn, because you don't really think of it as, um, you know, that sort of network. It's it's a professional network where you're supposed to connect with other people and build your network out, you know, for mm-hmm. jobs or um you know, new business connections. Right, right. Well, and, you know, that's probably why, as I mentioned at the beginning with what I was experiencing, it seemed like it was, uh, for the first few years, it was always high-ranking 
military. So it was always, you know, a general or an admiral. And that was probably a way to try to obtain trust, right? If you see somebody who's high up in the military, you're probably going to trust that that's, oh, well, here's somebody who, you know, is very distinguished, uh, is trustworthy because they're leading this. That might have been why they were using that to target me for whatever reason that they wanted to target me for. Um, Are you seeing other types of personas being used beyond the military and also like the executive, uh, maybe the folks who are well known in the uh, business world? Uh, Cobalt Gypsy is a great example. So this Mia Ash is one of several fake personas we found this group use. Um, and they leverage everything from stock photos of business people to real people's images like we saw with the Mia Ash campaign. Um, we haven't seen them use a lot of high profile type folks. Uh, we've seen them use, uh, for lack of a better term, more ordinary folks, people that look like you and I, uh, mm-hmm. because it, it just looks more legit than maybe a picture of a model, which some catfishing type groups um, and adversaries have used before. Right. So so Cobalt Gypsy, I love, I love that name. <laughs> uh, Cobalt Gypsy, that's the name of the group. And so this is something that it sounds like they're just very busy um creating these personas can you describe maybe some of the types of targets that you discover that they were going after in the case of cobalt gypsy they're fairly focused so um in terms of the catfishing type activity that they do uh, they're very focused on uh, middle eastern organizations that are of interest to that are, that are probably of interest, to, strategic interest to the Iranian government. So oh. uh, oil and gas, telecom, technology type uh, firms are the organizations that we've seen them uh, go after in the past. Now, are is this group or, or is it probably other groups? Um, there's been a lot in the news here in the recent few days about how, you know, with the the elections of 2016, we saw a lot of activity here in the U.S., but they're also now reporting about all the different types of similar activities that took place during the elections with Brexit and how they're finding similar types of tactics. Did you have any uh, you know, research that you did into those elections types of attempts where maybe there was catfishing going on there? Uh, Not specifically, but the use of fake personas is really not a new technique, and it's fairly built into traditional espionage practices. So there might be a little bit of naivete about it being used on social media, again, due to that trust that's built in. But we have to remember that it's far easier to use an online persona versus a physical person to achieve some Mm. of these objectives. I mean, uh, you brought up the example of the um, some of the personas or accounts that were used with the Russian election hacking. You know, those are a great example. But again, I'm sure that there are a lot of other groups out there, not just Cobalt Gypsy, um, that are using um, these types of techniques to achieve their objectives. So then, what are some of the examples of the harms or damages? that can result from successful catfishing, let's say from like cybersecurity, what kind of uh, impacts can that have? 
Mia Ash is a really great example of the impact. So the profile was active for nearly a year before it discover, was discovered. It had over 500 connections, and probably a similar amount on Facebook. Um, but that would be a, a fairly successful persona. Um, mm-hmm. ar- around the time that we discovered Mia Ash was active, there was a reboot of Shamoon activity in the Middle East. And so for folks who maybe don't remember that, Shamoon was the malware that wiped about 25 to 30,000 machines belonging belonging to Saudi Aramco back in 2012. Oh, um, wow. The, yeah. The Shamoon events of 2016-2017 impacted around 15 different Saudi oil, Saudi organizations, mainly in the uh, oil and gas sector. Um, so several organizations uh, that observed the fishing activity that uh, later brought Mia Ash uh, thought that maybe... Uh, this activity was the initial access vector for that. So it's a, it's a plausible hypothesis that Mia Ash maybe was uh, what brought Shamoon to some of these organizations during that time period. Uh, we couldn't prove or disprove that, but regardless, um, that would be a pretty successful and very destructive use of uh, a persona. Yeah, so uh, for the listeners who aren't familiar with that, with Shamoon, did that actually... I mean, when you're you're talking about wiping out the server, it brought down the server and it um, it just removed the data too, made it inaccessible. Or, yes. Uh, so, what kind of tools did they use to do that? Did they use a, a variety, or did they use just one specific one within that Shamoon uh, attack? Uh, Shamoon was actually the name of the custom malware, and so it had a bunch of different components um so so it erased the data overrode it locked up you know computers those types of things it wiped the machines clean and on reboot um in 2012 during the aramco attacks it replaced um the computer with a picture of a burning american flag and in 2016 2017 it had an image of um, the um, toddler who um, washed up on the shores of, I believe it was Greece. Yes, yes. So that was, I mean, talking about that one, I remember the the burning flag, you know, very clearly. But I think with regard to getting a lot of amplification online, that photo of the toddler who, who was washed up, I saw... You know, those images were shared all over Twitter, all over Facebook, all over, you know, Instagram. Those were everywhere. So some of those could have been um, being shared from some of these original attempts, right? Um, I'm not I'm not sure about that. Shamoon was interesting because it didn't really spread outside of the network that it was intended for. Oh, okay. Huh. So, so besides in the Middle East, then, are you seeing these attempts? Or are, you, are you looking at these attempts in any other parts of the world that, you know, you think might be coming up or, or, or having um, catfishing increasing in, in frequency? We're fairly certain that all types of adversaries are using um, social media in some way, shape, or form, whether it be through fake personas or just information gathering, um, everything from nation states even to uh, criminal adversaries. 
So what are some of the most surprising or unusual tactics that you've been seeing by the catfishers that are a little bit different than what you saw, you know, even just a couple of years ago? The most surprising bit to me when we've come across these profiles is is always the boldness. Uh, I'm in the field, so I'm highly skeptical um, about any out-of-the-blue interaction with an online stranger, but it, it always surprises me when we come across these, you know, and they've been active for a fair amount of time and just how successful they are. Mm-hmm. That people actually fall for that, right? Right, right. <laughs> well, you know, in one of my examples uh, at the beginning of the show, I talked about actual physical safety. I mean, how digital contact sometimes leads to physical access and and crimes. I mean, is that something that you've looked into any, uh, done research into any catfishing that's involved with those types of situations? We haven't observed that directly. Seems like it would be a scary thing, though, given um, all the different, you know, ways in which we see it has has actually worked successfully for uh, maybe not nation-state purposes, but it it seems like it could be pretty destructive, though. So talking about being destructive, you know, you talked about Shamoon and also how it just wiped out uh, the computer system and the data. What's some other examples of destructive impacts of successful catfishing that you've seen? Um, the installation of malware um, is not so much destructive, but it is really destructive to um, the corporate environments where it happens. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've seen these personas in the past deliver malware that um, steals information off the network. So similar to Puppy Rat that was looking for credentials, um, we've seen these types of personas deliver just the traditional remote access tool or RAT that um, allows the adversary um, basically full access to the machine that it's on. Uh, That's really, uh, I mean, it seems like it would be a very good tactic to use if somebody's, you know, a criminal wanting to do that. But it also seems like it's a tactic that maybe there might be others using it to do other types of things. And in fact, if we look at it kind of in a reverse uh, view are you aware of any like information security groups or government agencies, law enforcement or others? Do you know if they're using catfishing to catch criminals or to go after, um, you know, illegal activities? That's a little bit out of the wheelhouse for the type of work that we do at SecureX. But, uh, you know, I am comfortable in saying that a lot of people use uh, a lot of uh, governments or uh, adversaries, however you want to view it, it sort of depends mm-hmm. on where you sit in the world, um, are leveraging social media for traditional espionage techniques and practices. Yeah, well, it seems like it's a good, it would be an effective tool for intelligence gathering for sure. So, you know, as you've been researching the cat, the catfishing activities, do you have any Oh, expectations for how it's going to evolve or how you're seeing it currently evolving uh, in the coming months and years, maybe, with regard to, you know, tactics or even 
the types of online um, locations where catfishing is occurring? Because we have so many different types of social media venues now. I think the profiles are just going to get more complex. I mean, so Mia Ash was a multi-platform persona, but I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of those. And as social media uh, gets more ingrained in everyone's day-to-day, we're going to see um, those profiles just get a lot better and maybe a little bit more assertive. I wonder if they're using, you know, as you're describing this, I wonder if they're using artificial intelligence in any way to determine how to create those personas and how to to find their targets, uh, you know, based upon doing some AI type of analysis. Is is that anything that you've um, looked into or discovered during your research? I think it's plausible, but the the caring and feeding of these personas is so hands-on that I think it would be hard to automate that sort of thing. Oh, that's a good point. So the the actual entities that are launching these personas, even though we have one Mia Ash, there's probably a whole team of people that are involved in maintaining that persona then, right? I think that's a fair statement. I mean, did you find, of course, I guess if you haven't actually gotten to, to into the group that's doing the launching of these, it's probably hard to tell, you know, how many people they have involved and how many other personas that they are uh, pushing out there at any point in time. I don't know if that's something that you've looked into or planning to look into. All we know is that uh, these have been highly um, curated. So Mia Ash and the amount of pictures that were uploaded on a regular basis was really um, alarming. And uh, they interacted with the people who commented on their pictures on a, on a regular basis. Was there any tip, like you, when you're talking about interacting, I know for some of the catfishing so, in the attempts that I've seen and that I've experienced, why some of the things that I've noticed is that sometimes the the um, you know the the persona that is trying to get in touch with me, they're using terminology or maybe words that might not match, you know, like for, you know, someone who's a general in the military, maybe some of the words in that invitation just seem kind of off um based on your research what would be maybe the top two or three things that you would advise to listeners to do to prevent from being catfishing victims themselves what are some steps that they can take i think you've got to be skeptical when we talk about the mia ash story and other stories around um, these catfishing type of personas you know, uh, we always tell people, confirm those new connections that you're being asked to make on social media through a different channel, whether it be an email or a phone call or a message on a platform different than the one you've received the invita- invitation. I generally don't accept invites from people on social media that I haven't met in person and can't dual source that invite. So if it's out of context, um, if you don't know the person, you probably don't want to add them to your profile. Um, and- Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say for a lot of folks on LinkedIn, you know, one of their major um, 
plans is to connect with everyone they can. So uh, I think that's where they, they really need to think about what your advice is there before they just accept everyone. Absolutely. And by doing that, you might not necessarily be the target, but you might be legitimizing um, one of these fake personas by mm-hmm. associating them. So if I see that you, Rebecca, have been associated with this person that is now asking me to connect with them on LinkedIn, well, I think, well, I know Rebecca. I, I trust Rebecca. Um, we're in the same industry. This person's probably okay for me to add. And it just sort of snowballs from there. Mm-hmm. Good point. And, and you were going to give another tip? Uh, yes. I think you've really got to be careful about what you list on your personal and professional social media profile. I mean, despite the privacy settings that are on these sites, it's really important to remember that the internet was designed to make sharing information easier, not privacy. Um, So a lot of the people that we saw that were associated with the Mia Ash profile that were likely victims probably shared a little bit too much about um, their jobs uh, on on their LinkedIn site. And there's... There's, you know, there's this maybe assumption that, um, you know, what happens on these these sites is none of your employer's business, and certainly it isn't. But the Mia Ash story was a great example of how that can likely or potentially impact um, your organization if you're not careful. That's a very good point. Very good point, and it's a good one to go out on because we're already to the end of our hour here. So thank you so much, Allison, for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I loved it. So, listeners, you can reach Allison by going through the Secure Works website. Today, we've been speaking with Allison Wyckoff, a senior intelligence analyst and security researcher for Secure Works Counter Threat Unit Research Team, and we've talking. Uh, we've been talking about catfishing in general, and also, you know, how there's kind of an increasing trend for targeting business professionals. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. Please tune into the show each week. If you cannot make our scheduled live time, you will be able to listen to all the recordings, and you can find recordings of all my past shows on your favorite podcast outlets, in addition to on Voice America business channel website also get in touch with me if you uh, need any help with information security privacy or need an expert witness and so on you can find out more on symbus360.com get in touch with me with show topic ideas at rebecca harold at RebeccaHerald.com. i urge you to notice and stay aware of information security and privacy issues as you go about your daily activities go to your job and do your daily work until next show Ask those you do business with and work for if they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them. Be privacy aware in the week ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week, stay safe. We'll be right back.